This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Welcome to People Talk. People Talk is about getting ahead at work, becoming a leader, establishing your personal brand, and motivating yourself and those around you. Hosted by Angela Hall, who has decades of experience working in the field of human resources, you can expect lively discussions about topics like workplace politics, dealing with difficult employees and clients, creating an inclusive workplace, and jump-starting your career. Here's your host, Angela Hall. Hello, this is Angela Hall, and welcome to another episode of People Talk. Here at People Talk, we talk about all things related to HR, career, work-life balance. Thanks for joining me for another episode um, today. This week, I was asked to speak to a group that's having a change in leadership, and I said, you know what? Um, I think this is an important topic, and I'm going to talk about it this week in this week's podcast. So today we're going to talk about um, how you survive and thrive in times of change. Well, the first thing is that we have to understand is that we are, of course, the last year has been, of course, crazy with the pandemic and we've had social movements and political um, upheaval. Um, so, of course, those those were changes. We're used to having a new president every four to eight years, but we're not used to elections like that. Um, very few people alive now were alive last time we had a pandemic, and they were um, babies when that occurred or toddlers. And so, um, interesting times. But even if we're not living in times of crises, um, it's a situation where we know the old adage that the only thing um, constant is um, change. And so there are ways that we can prepare for, it, pre- prepare for change ourselves and how we can prepare the people that we uh, manage and lead for change. So let's talk about a few concepts. First of all, is the notion of the, um, what plan change is. And plan change is when you have a deliberate deliberate process when you're trying to move from one state to a next. You might've done some type of analysis and realized that you have an opportunity to grow uh, after doing some um, external environmental scanning of your organization. You're like, wow, this is a great opportunity. Or it could be um, the case where you know that if you don't change, that things may become bad in the future. The best example that I have to give is on blockbuster videos. Sometimes when I talk to my students who are younger, they're like, oh yeah, that maybe was a thing when I was a little kid. And so, you know, everyone used blockbuster back in the day. Uh, Remember you used to have to rewind the VHS tape before you returned it. Well, what happened to Blockbuster? Isn't there like just one left? I think like in Oregon right now, um, people started getting their uh, their uh, movies and uh, entertainment content on uh, on demand, or first you know via by Netflix through the mail and then on demand. And so, 
um, I was reading something from the CEO of um, Netflix and he was saying, you know, we don't want to be the next blockbuster. So that was one of the reasons why they expanded out into getting con uh, developing their own content, their own shows, doing things like that. So they did some environmental scanning. They started realizing the landscape. They realized that they needed to be um, proactive, a proactive type of change, as opposed to being reactive because they wanted to be around for the long haul. There is a concept that I really, really, really love. It's a theory. It's called population ecology. And it's when um, the notion of evolution has been applied to organizations uh, or Darwinism. And it says that organizations are born, they live and they die without ad adaptation. So think about it, if you're an organization that um, was in the um, uh, renting videos or like um, you're making photocopiers um, and that's all you did, um, you have to, technology changes. We're going to a more uh, paperless society and an economy. So the, the way we did things in the past are not the way we, did, we do things now. So as an organization, um, I was telling people this, we have to kind of unlearn that thing that we tell like business students, the MBAs, the things that you hear at, um, uh, uh, at annual board meetings of um, uh, publicly traded companies. And so we need to maximize shareholder wealth. We need to maximize shareholder wealth. Well, for for-profit companies, that's important. However, I think the best model to approach is something like what Amazon has done. And what they have looked at, it's more a um, pop, population ecology type of approach. They wanted to be along for around for the long haul. And if you're only thinking about the short term, you're thinking about short term profits and that does not set yourself up to being a successful organization um, in the future. Amazon was not turning a profit for many, many years until, you know, then it started turning a profit and then it's like amazing, right? And so what, what you need to do is think about your survival. The fact that you don't want to just make money now. You just don't want to be successful now. You want to be successful in the future. You want to live to tell the tale. And that is a different type of strategy making than, or strategy formulation than it is just, oh, let's get money. Let's just maximize the shareholder wealth. So re revisiting the notion of plan change, you want to move from one state to another. Um, the Probably the most common um, model for change is Lewin's model. And it's a process of plan change and it involves three concepts. One is unfreezing, um, the next one is moving, and the third one is refreezing. So what unfreezing means is that you have to explain to people why you should even change. Because as human beings, we don't like change. It, it, it's the way we are, you know, uh, most of us are built that way, that we don't like change. Change is hard. That's why we stay in relationships that may not always be the best ones. Um, I've been in a bad relationship 
for many, many years. It's not with a human being, it's with my credit union, right? And, and, if, and they're not bad, the people are very nice there, but my credit union does not have, especially for a period of time, like maybe in the early to mid 2000s, it did not have all the bells and whistles and all the ATMs and all the services, but I liked it. And it took more effort for me to move out of that to a, to a financial institution that had more bells and whistles for me than it was just to stay with them. And then the people are nice. So, you know, we stick with it. And so that is not um, a big deal. You know, my, my, you know my, my, my finances are being taken care of at that one credit union. That's not the only organization that's holding on to some of my money. But it's a notion that you have to get people out of the mindset of you have to do things differently. So how do you do it in the workplace? You uh, provide a rationale for the change. You explain to people why. You're transparent. You create a sense of urgency. Say, hey, if we don't start changing, we're going to be the next blockbuster, blockbuster video. When I was in law school, the term that we used to talk uh, used about obsolescence is buggy whips. You know, like horse and buggies. Like, like back in the day, that was an industry. You literally used to make buggy whips to like whip the horse to keep them, you know, to get them going. I mean. I'm sure it's an industry in some ways. There are probably some people who are still doing it, but it's nothing like it was before the um, advent of the uh, automobile, okay? So um, that's another thing that you need to do. Another thing is that um, the, the literature says you create a guilt or anxiety about not changing. I think that's kind of a harsh way of saying it. It's not a guilt or an anxiety, but it makes people, um, you try to tell your employees and tell yourself, hey, you know, if we don't do this, this has negative consequences. We might be comfortable in the situation we're in now, but if we don't change, we could lose jobs. I could lose my job. It could impact like, you know, people's families. They can't get health care. You know, you really, really, really need to do this. So that's stage one, unfreezing. Next step is moving. So that's when you're making the processes. That's when you are getting, you're your transitioning people to the new stage. You're trying to routinize it. You're trying to um, bring about shifts in behavior. What is very important about that is transparency during the process. Because human beings, if they don't get full information, we'll just make up crap. Um, that's just is how our minds work. You ever be, you know, have, have you ever like been on uh, Facebook and like you see um, those things like you must be really smart if you can read this and it shows like like you know like a statement and some of the letters are like missing or the letters are like out of order but you can still fill it in. Human beings are really good at filling in missing information. We could do that with images, we can do that with written content, and we also do that with just general states of being. So like if I don't know something, I have a tendency to start making assumptions and then you know people start talking and then the rumor mill goes. And so you really need to be transparent. The third step in a process of plan change is something called refreezing. And that's when you evaluate the new systems and you see, hey, is this really good? And you also uh, create, the, 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 the literature says, 
guilt or anxiety about not changing. I would kind of soften that and not say it's not, it's not necessarily creating guilt or anxiety, but it's letting people know that, hey, if you go back to your old ways of behavior, it's not going to end right for you. Um, a non-HR example would be someone has a heart attack um, it, because they're not eating right and they have like a poor lifestyle. And so they, you know, they get treatment, they get like their stent, they go to cardiac rehab, they're exercising, they're eating well, and then they feel better. And then they go back to doing their old behaviors and then they have another heart attack again. It's that, it's kind of that situation. You tell people like, hey, if you go back to your old behaviors, these things could happen and they could um, end badly. Some factors to consider when you are thinking about um, uh, change as a leader is the power that you have as a leader and the fact that you need to lead by example. If you're telling your subordinates, hey, we're going to follow this new policy where we are, we're going to give like top-notch um, customer service. That's going to be a really big thing, the customer experience, but yet you seem to like blow off customers. Well, you're not modeling the type of behavior, right? And so you're not going to be able to inspire or expect that in your subordinates if you're not demonstrating that same behavior. So having credibility, walking the walk and talking the talk, and being a proven leader are very important about those types of things. There's also some tactical choices that you can use. Like, for example, there are certain things that you want and there are certain things that you need. And I like to explain that to my clients, my students, even my 15-year-old daughter. And she actually, she, she gets it. She's pretty smart. Um, it, there are things where you say, wow, I would really, really love to start this initiative on, okay, making the uh, workspace green. That's, that's very laudable. We need to take care of our planet. But if the building is literally on fire, that's not a good time to talk about recycling, right? So you have to be able to prioritize things and you have to realize that your sense of priorities may not be the same as your subordinates and they might not understand why things are prioritized in a certain way. So that's once again, why it's important to be transparent. Another thing to the extent that you can be is to adopt a participatory leadership style. Now, sometimes when the house is on fire, when you're in like crisis mode, you might need to be more directive, but at the extent that you can to participate, to consult with your subordinates, because, you know, first of all, you might not, you don't know everything and you need to have different points of view. The second thing we know from something called goal setting theory, and this is like, you know, like human behavior is not like um, like the laws of the, the of physics. There's no like e equals mc squared. But if anything comes close to that, is goal setting theory. And goal setting theory says that specific hard goals. These are goals that are hard. These are challenging, but not impossible. Where you give feedback to your employees on how they're progressing in those goals, and if you allow them to participate in making those goals, you get two things and 
every single study that I have seen on goal setting theory, and there've been hundreds, have found that you get two things. You get higher self-set goals, meaning that when employees participating in making goals, they're actually typically more, um, they're probably higher and more challenging than when the boss gives them to them. And the second thing is you have higher performance because you have buy-in by the employees. Buy-in is so important. Go back, go, let's go back in the way back machine. Let's go back. Remember being a teenager? Remember how you felt when people were trying to boss you? When your parents were trying to boss you, how you react, whether you rebelled? That's called reactance. We, we don't leave that behind in our teenage years. We take that to our adulthood. People don't like to be overly micromanaged and people are more likely to embrace and internalize the goals when they themselves have participated in making them. So those are proactive goals. There are also reactive or, or, or proactive changes. They're reactive because like, hey, we're in a pandemic. So my brother worked for a major company back in 2014 that um, provides um, IT services uh, for uh, one of our the big virtual uh, video conferences companies. I'm not calling names. And he wrote a plan. He's a disaster recovery specialist. And he's a pretty darn good one about what would happen if we're in a pandemic. I saw the report. Matter of fact, I sanitized the report and shared it with my students to use in class. And it was like, he talked about social distancing and, and wearing masks. And, um, you know, just like a whole pandemic protocol, it's like, wow, like you knew this was going to happen. He's like, yeah, we knew. He's like, a lot of people knew, but not enough people knew and not enough people took it seriously. Well, the reality is now we're in it, we're living it, and um, we're in these times of crisis. And now we're not in the acute phase of the crisis. Acute is like, what the hell is going on? I don't know, up from down. That's where we were a year ago. Now we're in the slog of this, of this pandemic. And that oftentimes can be more damaging to the people's psyche than the acute phase when you're running on adrenaline. So now, you know, we've had to learn a lot of things very quickly, how to redo things. And, you know, a way that we've been reactive, like for example, look at this, most of us who are like white collar workers, we were working face to face. Now we're working, most of us, not most of us, but a good chunk of us are working remotely. And I don't think that we'll ever go to a back to a point, at least in the foreseeable future, where people are going to be spending as much time in the office, even once the pandemic is under control. So when you are dealing with reactive changes, you have to do things to help your employees through. So, um, and this could happen even when you're doing proactive changes. You need to state the change. You need to be very honest and transparent. You need to solicit the feedback from your employees. You need to acknowledge the feedback. You need to try to utilize your emotional intelligence skills to pick up to say, hey, this employee is struggling in this way, or this is not going to be well received. And so you might say to yourself, well, Angela, how do I know I'm emotionally intelligent? That's when you as a leader solicit feedback from others and say, how am I doing things? Like, should I do this? Should I do that? How do you think it'd be received? You need to um, um, consult with employees, your peers, your boss. Those are the types of things you need to do. I like to tell people, 
personality is pretty static. Freud says it's, it's, it's formed by the time you're about six. Other psychologists says at least by your preteens, your personality is pretty fixed. It, it, it's, it's not gonna change much. But emotional intelligence is amazing because it's one of the things that you can actually develop um, as an adult and change it in, in a relatively quick uh, amount of time. It's important um, when you're going to um, help your employee through change to also explain why, to define roles and to be very clear, ambiguity is a killer. When people don't know what to do, that can be paralyzing. I remember my first day of work that I showed up in my previous life when I was a government attorney and they just gave me a desk and a bunch of files and said, have at it. I'm like, what am I gonna do here? That was like paralyzing. You have to define roles, provide training for people and be proactive even when you're being reactive and say, hey, we have to respond to the situation, but I still have to give the employee some type of guidance or mechanisms to guide them through or skills or resources so they can make it through this type of change and reward people when they embrace the change, right? And rewards could be public recognition. It could be a gift card. It could be some type of acknowledgement. It doesn't have to be cash. Matter of fact, there is, um, uh, there's a theory that, um, that has been uh, proposed by somebody called Herzberg. And he says that certain things are motivators and certain things are hygiene factors. A hygiene factor means that when it's not there, it's disappointing to you, but it doesn't motivate you to do something. A motivator is something that gets you engaged and makes you want to go the extra mile and makes you want to go woohoo. And studies have shown that money is not a motivator, it's a hygiene factor. You're upset when it's not adequate, but, but money in and of itself is not typically a motivator unless you can tie it to some type of recognition. We're giving this you this bonus because you did a good job. We, we're, we're giving you this pay increase because you did well. Um, and the reason why is, is because if you just throw money at people, it starts to become an entitlement. It starts to, mean, be, uh, to be meaningless. So that is really, really important as well. And then finally, when you are going through times of change, especially during these pandemic times, think about the fact that of a few things. We, you know, the fact that it's the cumulative stress of going through change, particularly during this past year. Be understanding, be flexible, and be creative. Concentrate on, for your employees, how, not, not how, uh, that they do things. So the what they do, rather than the how and the when they do things. And by that, I mean, is that things may, work may have to be ordered differently. It's hard to work from home. It's hard to work under these type of um, circumstances. But as long as work is getting done efficiently on time, the idea of, hey, that we had to do things the way we did before is not um, as, as important. And finally, what you need to do is practice some self-empathy for yourself. And you know, realize that when you're going through change, it's hard. Seek out, um, seek out social support from other people. Talk to peers uh, and, and jo uh, join a group. 
um, within or without of your a company where you can commiserate with people, that you can get ideas back, that you can get that support and that you can help yourself and the people that you support or lead, um, supervise, um, help them through the change process as well. And on that note, I'm gonna end this week's uh, podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And please join me next week for another episode. Thanks for listening to another episode of People Talk with Angela Hall. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues. And remember to subscribe to our show. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.